Well, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. That's where we'll be this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through God's Word. Uh, if you're new to our church today, we have been walking through Genesis since earlier in the year, and we'll continue that walk today as we look at Genesis chapter 13. Uh, when we got into Genesis 12, we got into the laugh, life, the laugh, the life of Abraham, who uh, initially we've seen referred to in Scripture as Abram and God will call him Abraham later, but we refer to him as Abram for now. And uh, we've seen in Genesis 12 both how he trusted God and walked with God, as well as how he failed to trust God. And where we pick up in Genesis 13, we come to a point really of repentance in Abram's life, where he is coming back from the failure of going to Egypt, of not trusting God, of lying about Sarah as his wife and entrusting her to another and I think as we look to this, we will see some things that apply very much to our faith today. And so if you would, read along with me as we look at Genesis 13, this Lord's Day. This is what God's Word says. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is it not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east, thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that no one can count the dust of the earth. Your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Who would pray with me for our time in God's word this morning. Father, we do come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, for each of us, we may have come into this time of worship with different worries or anxieties, different thoughts. Father, each of us, our minds are prone to wander off, to think of other things. And so, Father, I pray you would do a work of your Holy Spirit and that you would 
call our attention to Your Word, that You would use this text in our lives today, that we might leave here differently than how we came here. That we would leave trusting You more, having faith in You more, with our eyes set on the reward that comes when walking with Christ Jesus. We pray for these things in His name. Amen. Well, I remember... When I was growing up, there was a show I used to watch that perhaps will bring back some memories for some of you. Back in the 70s and 80s, there was a popular game show called Let's Make a Deal. And if you remember Let's Make a Deal, then you remember host Monty Hall in his flashy uh, outfits. He would bring contestants forward and they had to make a choice. He would make a deal with them. Uh, Usually the deal went something like this. He would first reveal something to them. Perhaps it would be out in the open, perhaps he would open up a box and there might be a, a, a small trinket or something worth uh, some value, but, but not something too big. And then he would give them a proposition. He would say, now you can, you can leave with this little gift here and be happy with it. It's more, more than you came in here with. Or you can trade this for a chance to see what's behind door number two. Well, if you watch the show, you know that behind door number two might be a trip to Hawaii. Or behind door number two might be a goat. Now, I realize for some of you the goat would still be exciting, but the point is this, they might win big or they might lose. And they didn't know until they opened the door. Well, for many of us, when we think about the issue of faith, we probably identify more with let's make a deal than we identify with faith in Scripture because so often we think of faith as some type of blind leap. We think of faith as some type of mystery. We're, we're not sure what's going to be there. We're just going to kind of walk in that direction and see what happens. And yet, that is very different from the faith that we see in Abram's life and from the faith that we see in the Scripture. You see, Abram had faith in a promise God had given him. God reveals Himself in Genesis 12 to Abram. He calls him to leave his people, to follow him. And he says, I'm going to take you to a place you don't know. He he doesn't tell him all the details, but he certainly makes a promise to him. A promise that he's going to bless the nations through him. And so Abram trusts in that promise. His faith is in that promise. And for us today, that is what our faith is as well. Our, Our faith is not like a game show. Our faith is trusting in the promise of God. God has revealed Himself to us in the Gospel through His Son, Jesus Christ. And while He has not promised us an easy life, while He has not promised us everything will go smoothly in this world for us, ultimately, we do have the promise from Him of eternity with Him, of a new heaven and a new earth. That is what lies before us. That is what we walk in faith according to That is the faith we need to learn more about. And so, we're going to look to this text, and as we do, I simply want to point out a few things that I think teach us about biblical faith. The first one is this, number one, our faith is often measured by how we respond to failure. We pick up in Abram's story here in Genesis 13 at a time when he has failed. At a time when you and I should identify with Abram because we in our faith will fail as well. Genesis 12 starts out with God calling Abram and Abram trusting him in the midst of a lot of difficult obstacles. Uh, He calls Abram to leave his people at a point in his life where it's later in his life where he's comfortable 
And he does that. He, he calls him to take his barren wife, Sarah, to go to a place they don't know. And he says he's going to bless him with a lot of descendants. And yet Abram's wife can't have children. And yet Abram trusts God and he goes. And then he comes to this promised land that God says he's going to give him. And there's a bunch of people already living in it. And yet Abram continues to trust God. So when we follow the text through the beginning of Genesis 12, we get this picture of trust, this picture of faith, this picture of Abram, despite these obstacles, stopping and worshiping, stopping and worshiping. And then we see he comes to a crossroads in his faith. He comes to a point where the text tells us that there's a great famine in the land, verse 10 of chapter 12. And in response to that famine, we see Abram's faith begin to waver. We see Abram fail. Rather than stay in the land and trust God, ultimately he trusts in himself. He looks down to Egypt and he realizes there are resources in Egypt. And while Egypt is not the promised land God has called him to, Abram begins to trust in himself instead of God. And so he goes down to Egypt. And that's not his first bad decision. Because once he gets to Egypt, he then makes an even worse decision to lie about his wife, to say she's his sister, which was kind of a partial truth. And you can listen to a few weeks ago to get all the details on that. But essentially, he lies to protect his own life. Well, that lie leads to greater issues. And ultimately, God intervenes in Abram's life through Pharaoh, who's a pagan. But he reveals to Pharaoh through these plagues that what's going on is not pleasing to him and honoring to him. So it's Pharaoh then that rebukes Abram and sends him packing away. That's where we pick up on in Genesis 13. And it's important to recognize that because this is a low point for Abram. This is a point of failure for Abram. And yet, as I've already said, our faith is often measured in how we respond to failure because what Abram now does is he goes back to the place where he had been before. He goes back to the place where he had worshipped God. He goes back to the place where he had established his tent and built an altar and had worshipped God. This is a sign of repentance in Abram's life. He has turned from the sin of Egypt. He has turned back to God. And he is now trusting in Him. That is how he responds to failure. That's how the Scripture tells us we should respond to failure as well because friends we're going to fail if if you think you haven't failed just go out here into the bathroom and look in the mirror and you'll see someone who has failed we all fail in our faith we may think that we've got it all together we may think we're being very faithful and trusting and there are seasons of our life where we are but inevitably we will come to points in our life where we trust in ourselves and we don't trust in god And then what's worse about it is we get to these points of failure and the enemy seeks to tell us that God doesn't want us anymore. The enemy seeks to tell us that you've messed up so bad you can never go back. And yet the scripture tells us something very different. For example, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is writing letters to churches and the church of Ephesus is one particularly in Revelation 2 that Jesus writes to. And in that letter, he notes how the church of Ephesus on the outside looked pretty good. I mean, they looked really religious. They, they didn't put up with things they shouldn't put up with, and they did the things they were supposed to do, but Jesus calls them out on their sin. He says this. He says, I have this against you. You've forgotten your first love. 
Essentially what that means for us is you might look real good today and, and you look very religious and you came to church and maybe you went to Sunday school and, and maybe if you're real religious you were here on a Sunday night and a Wednesday night and you, you've got the right bumper sticker on your car and you listen to the right radio station and maybe you even have t-shirts that talk about what a Christian you are but on the inside you're not where you need to be. And Jesus says to the church of Ephesus you look good on the outside but in your heart you don't love me anymore. Jesus is essentially saying to him, maybe you love my stuff. <laughs> maybe you love the blessing in your life that I might give, but you don't really love me. And you notice in Revelation 2, Jesus doesn't then say to him, so I'm done with you. And Jesus doesn't say that to us either. No, what he says is this in Revelation uh, chapter 2, verse 5. He says, remember therefore from where you've fallen... Repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus says, remember where you were before you fell. Repent, turn from the sin you were in and go back to that place. No matter where you are today, no matter what you did last night or the night before, no matter how deep in sin you have gone, the message is the same for us as well. Remember before that? Remember before you went down that road and made those bad decisions? Remember when you were walking faithfully with the Lord? Maybe you look back on that and you wish you were there and you're not and you think you can go back. Jesus says, oh, you can, you can go back. But you need to repent. You need to acknowledge the sin in your life. You need to turn from the sin in your life. And you need to walk with God. Well, that's the picture we have of Abram here. And the faith he has is measured about how he responds to this failure. Not only that, point two, his faith and our faith is also measured by how we respond to prosperity. It wasn't just failure that tested his faith, it was prosperity as well. If you know the story from a couple of weeks ago, Abram, even in the midst of great sin and lying about Sarah, he's blessed. The Pharaoh gives him a lot of stuff. So that by the time he leaves Egypt and comes back to Canaan, verse 2 says, he was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. It also tells us that Lot, his nephew, was blessed. They had a ton of stuff. That They were prospering. They were blessed. And yet, prosperity can bring problems. For many of us, we tend to have this philosophy that, well, we'll just be happy if we have enough. I spent years as a campus minister at Western Kentucky University, and I had the conversation over and over again with college students. You know, what are you studying, and what do you want to do, and, and what's your goal in life? And over and over again, the response I would get would be, you know, well, I just want to get a job where I can be comfortable. Well, I just want to make enough. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, rarely are we ever at a spot where we just say we've got enough. The problem with that is the old adage, the stuff that you own ends up owning you. The, the problem with that goes back to advice I got right after Sandy and I got married. Uh, one of the guys who mentored me in my faith, uh, his name Mike, and I remember Mike, I was talking to him about, you know, we were getting married and we were renting, and I, oh, I can't wait till we get to a point where we can buy our first house. And I remember Mike saying to me, he said, yeah, I was a happy man until I owned a house. <laughs> And I didn't really understand it until I bought a house. And then all of a sudden I realized how wise he was. Well, why do we say stuff like that? Because when you own something, then you've got to take care of it. 
And then stuff breaks. And then you've got to insure the stuff that's breaking. And then stuff you break wrecks your whole weekend. And then it wrecks your whole month. And you end up taking care of all this stuff. And it does become confusing. Do I own this or does it own me? And then the more stuff you have, the greater issue that becomes. It's not that prosperity and riches are a curse. God can use those things for His glory greatly. But friends, so often what we see in people's faith is the more stuff they have, the more dependent they become on themselves. The less dependent they become on God. I was saying I was spending some time with Nick and Laura Bateman last night and we were talking about uh, early years of marriage and Sandy and I were accounting how when we got married we were working with Campus Crusade for Christ. We had to raise all our own financial support. We just didn't have a whole lot. And Our, our first apartment we were able to rent uh, the only furniture we initially had was her great aunt gave us two twin beds. Not real helpful. And so we took the two twin beds and we pushed them together. And I, I rolled some, some sheets and some blankets and duct tape to try to even them out. We, we had a sheet on that bed that we bought at some discount place that w- had probably been used before. And it was pink with white stripes and... I remember that room, we would go to the public library in Monroe, North Carolina, and we would check pictures out from the library to hang on the wall. And to this day, I'm still upset that I was never allowed to get the picture of the dogs playing poker. But we didn't have a whole lot. And what we found ourselves doing a lot in those days was praying and asking God for provision and trusting in God for the next day. Well, life moves on. And and provision comes. And what often happens with that is we spend a little less time praying for it because we just expect it to be there. And then you might get to a point where you're prosperous and God gives you a whole lot. Well, then that brings a headache with it. And that's kind of what we see with Abram here. Because Abram comes back into the land and here he is with Lot and they've both got a lot of herds and livestock. And the problem is those other people who were already in the land, the Canaanites and others, and there's not enough places for their animals to graze and so now there's quarreling going on and there's problems that are coming from this prosperity but abram shows us what it is to still walk in faith abram shows us that even when we have a lot we can trust in god it reminds me of what we read from the apostle paul in philippians 4 a verse that's often quoted out of context 4:13. i can do all things through christ who strengthens me You hear that verse all the time. But the context is this. Paul is saying, I've learned to live with a lot, and I've learned to live with nothing. I've learned to be content when my stomach's full, and I've learned to be content when my stomach's empty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's focus and his faith is on Jesus, not his stuff. If you're not content when you're poor, you won't be content when you're rich. And if you're not content when you're rich, you won't be content when you're poor because contentment doesn't come from the stuff. It comes from our faith in Christ. And we see this crossroad come to us as well that Abram finds himself in. Between him and Lot, this decision that must be made, and it brings us to the third point I put there in your notes. We have to decide whether we will walk by faith or walk by sight. That's the decision we see here. It's a very clear distinction because Lot walks by sight. Lot is given this opportunity. And notice how Abram does this. Abram, who had been promised by God this great inheritance, kind of just puts all that on the line. 
Abram's less concerned about stuff than he is concerned about the relationship he has with Lot. I think that's an important lesson for us as well. Because sometimes we get so focused on the bottom line, we forget about the people. And friends, sometimes the bottom line just disappears. The people don't. In the end, that's what you're going to have. And Abram, I think, realizes this. And so by faith, in faith, trusting God, he goes to Lot with this proposition, not trying to protect his own interest. He says to Lot, you decide what you want first, and I'll take what's left. It's essentially what he does. That's the whole right hand, left hand. I'll go this way, you go this way. So what does Lot do? We don't get any indication that Lot here is trusting in God, that he's walking by faith. We have every indication from the text that Lot is trusting in what he can see. Because Lot, it says, verse 10, lifts up his eyes, saw the Jordan Valley. It was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. This is a reference to the Garden of Eden. Lot's looking out and he says, that looks like paradise. And so that's where I'm going. Well, what's the problem with that? The land that looks the best isn't necessarily the best choice. Because with this comes a lot of problems for a lot. In fact, we're given some insight here that this is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and how Lot moves his tents as far as Sodom and how the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. See, Lot is just looking at what he can see. He's not looking at men's hearts. He's not looking at whether or not they have faith. He just wants the stuff. He wants the garden. So he goes after it. But as he does, and as you follow his story, you see what a terrible decision this is. Genesis 13 says he moves his tent as far as Sodom. Genesis 14, he is now in Sodom. Genesis 19, he's sitting at the gate of Sodom, which implies he is now a recognized official leader in the city. And if you know much about Sodom, you know the story. God wipes them off the face of the earth. Abram makes a different choice. Abram doesn't make a choice based on what he can see. He makes a choice based on trusting in God. And I think there's an important principle here for us. See, oftentimes we want the blessing of God, but we don't want the authority of God. You talk to about anybody and you say, do you want to go to heaven or go to hell? Chances are they're going to say, well, I want heaven. Do you start talking to them about the authority of God in their life, about repentance and the gospel? A lot of times they don't want that. We want God's stuff. We don't necessarily want Him. And I think that's a picture that we see of Lot here, and yet a very different picture we see of Abram here, because Abram shows us faith. Abram trusts God to provide, ultimately because I think Abram is looking beyond the land and beyond the stuff. Abram is looking to what I've put as the last point there in your notes to a different kind of reward. The reward of our faith, which is ultimately found in Christ. text tells us that God tells Abram, lift up your eyes. And he says, look all around. But notice what he says. Verse 15. I'm going to give this to your offspring forever. Well, then we look over to Galatians 3. And we see Paul writing this about this promise to Abram. He says, God didn't say to Abram, I'm going to give this to your offsprings. He says, I'm going to give it to your offspring. And Paul tells us specifically, the offspring, who is Jesus Christ? 
Abram is looking out at this promise God is giving him, and he's not just looking at land. Abram is looking to a promise. The writer of Hebrews says Abram is looking to a city whose designer and builder is God. Abram is looking to the ultimate reward, which is Jesus Christ. And friends, that's where we need to look today. If you're walking by sight, you're going to make some really bad decisions. We could probably go around this room today, and a lot of you could share about deals that looked really good. They didn't turn out so well. But because you were walking by sight, by what you could see, God's Word says, no, you need to do something different. You need to walk by faith. And walking by faith doesn't always mean we know everything that's coming. I'm glad I don't know everything that's coming. Scripture says each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's true. But we know ultimately where we're going. You see, our faith biblically, if you go back to that opening illustration, it's like this. We, we know exactly what door number two is. Door number one is what we can see. It's walking by sight. It's what the world offers us. Door number two, let me tell you what we see when we open it. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is what's behind door number two. That is what the reward of our faith is. It is trust and submission to King Jesus. To walk with Him wherever it is He leads us. It's an understanding that in this world, we may have great trouble. But friend, there is great reward. And it comes ultimately through our faith in Jesus Christ. But if you don't have that, then all you have is this. And this ain't much. God has so much more for us in Christ and through Christ. And so the call for you, if you don't have that, is repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Many of you have done that. Many of you have done that long ago. But maybe this morning you find yourself settling for this and not focusing on that. The call for you is the same as the call Jesus gave to the church at Ephesus. Remember where you once were repent and return to that repent and have faith repent and have faith repent and have faith that is god's word to us this lord's day that is god's word to us every lord's day if you would pray with me to that end father god we come to you in jesus name and father i pray for each of us this morning each of us who wrestles with walking by sight and not by faith each of us who wrestles with when we fail what do we do? Who, who hears that lies of the enemy who says when we've failed, there's no place for us. And yet you say there is a place that we can repent and we can return. Lord, I pray for any here who perhaps in their sin feels like you don't want them anymore. God, would you overwhelm them through your spirit and call them to repentance and faith. And Lord, I pray for each of us. It is so tempting to look around 
to trust in the things we see, to make decisions based on that. And yet, Lord, you've called us towards a greater reward, a reward that comes eternally through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to set our eyes on that. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.